0: Our scripture reading today is John 6, 41 through 45. So the Jews grumbled about him because, they said, because he said, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is a living word of God for us today. Thank you, JJ. Open your Bibles if you have them or your tablet, phone, whatever it may be. We're gonna be in John six, as you know, studying through the book of John. Verse by verse, we're in 641 to 59. Today, all week, I've um, I've been feeling a sense of grateful anticipation about this text today. But it's been matched, if not surpassed, actually, by a sense of grave caution. I've titled the message, Hard Truths to Swallow, because Jesus says some things here, y'all, that are hard to swallow, um, things that are <clears throat> difficult to believe. On the one hand, I believe this, If, if, if the, as the spirit opens our eyes <laughs> to see what Jesus truly and clearly says, I, I think we will, many of us may leave here liberated. Like, and what do, I, what do I, mean? I mean? I mean, free in the gospel in ways that maybe we have, Never experienced for secure in the gospel in ways maybe we've never experienced. On the other hand, this is one of those texts that's gonna spur some uh, maybe qu- certainly questions, like for sure, <clears throat> maybe some anger or frustration at me, the teacher, perhaps. Um, of the verses we're gonna cover today, okay, we're gonna cover 4159. <clears throat> When, when uh, Rob picks this passage up next week, the very first verse, verse 60, we'll say of our verses today, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? It gets worse. Verse 66 says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So how hard are these sayings? So hard that many who were following just said, no, we're not going to follow you anymore. Rather than diving deeply into um, each verse on uh, that we that we've got here, you know it's a pretty good section. But rather than going all the way into each verse, I'm I'm gonna do a summary of the of the of the verses. Okay, so I want to tell you what's coming. Um, I'm gonna do a summary, but let me tell you why I'm gonna summarize uh, these ten verses today. Because then we're gonna spend some time on some specifics within it. If you heard <coughs> Rob's message last week, okay? What I'm contending is, then you've heard the message that Jesus says here this week. If I summarize Rob's message, and I, and, and, you know, I trust you'll listen to those because you know, when we're teaching verse by verse, everything's connected within context. <coughs> Jesus, uh, Rob's message last week, here's a summary. Jesus is the bread of life not a meal that sustains you till you get hungry again, like manna, but the meal that gives life eternal. Until you come to Jesus, your hunger remains unsatisfied and you will die. Believe in Jesus and you will live. That's Rob's message last week. Let me tell you about these verses that we'll cover today. Here's the message in summary. Jesus is the bread of life, not a meal that sustains you till you get hungry again like manna, but the meal that gives life eternal. Until you come to Jesus, your hunger remains unsatisfied and you will die. Believe in Jesus and you will live. I mean, we're not, it, he's gonna say the same thing. Why? Because these are hard things and because he's a master teacher. And so Jesus literally repeats himself with a few different metaphors or pictures to, that, the, that the truth would penetrate, right? The reader and the listener's hearts. Here's what I find so fascinating. If what he talked about last week was hard, he makes it even harder. You would think that if it was hard, he'd go, let me ease up on this so you get it. No, he doubles down as we're going to see, which is why we need to pray and trust that the spirit teaches, not me, not Rob, but the spirit teaches us, including not just you, but me, even as I teach. So I wanna bow your heads, would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would do this morning what only you can do, that you would open our eyes to believe, that you would bring light, clarity, insight, vision, faith, that by your spirit, we would find that what you say is true. And by your spirit, we would come to trust what you say is true. And that we might rest in your grace. This we pray in Christ's name, amen. Now we're gonna look at three headings Uh, Again, I'm gonna fly through the first two because with the third's gonna take some time. I'm gonna put them on the screen so you'll see them. Here's the first heading. This is just the first few verses and I'm gonna read them. Grumbling, grumbling. Why why are they grumbling? Around the hard truth of Christ's deity. (laughs) Look again at the verses JJ read. We're gonna go a little farther. Excuse me. Beginning in uh, verse 41, we pick up the story. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, he's like, we know your mom and dad. How do you come down from heaven? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? (laughs) Jesus said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him of Christ's deity. When I say deity, and we've covered this, you know, it's, it's the, that he's God. He's not just a man that's spiritual. He's not just a good moral teacher. No, he's fully God and fully man. We read in these section, the section I just read, four times he speaks of his identity. What do you mean? Is that Well, he speaks of where he comes from, i.e., this is who I, I am, where I come from, <laughs> And he declared, it declares who he is, verse 41. I'm bread that came down from heaven, verse 42. I have come down from heaven, verse 46. I am he who is from God, verse 50. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. Now we as readers, you know, we read this and and I hope we're saying, yes, yes, uh, we we already know this. Well, how do we already know this? Because John already said it. John 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We've read that. And you go, well, hadn't these guys read that? No, (laughs) they didn't read that. They didn't have that. Now they had the Old Testament, which Jesus we know is gonna say was enough. You know, we have John one that clearly expresses this. Jesus has, has said nothing in these 10 verses that he hasn't already said in the previous ones. That's why I said it's a review. With one exception, okay, with this one exception, he says, I am the bread, and he adds this, and the bread is my, what, what does he say? My flesh. That, you know, I, I empathize with, with them. I mean, if he had said that to me, I'd have been, that is, What? by flesh here he uses the greek for the physical body he's talking about this you know later paul will talk about the flesh as a principle of the uh, uh, the principle of fallen na- our fallen nature is the flesh it's that principle bent away from god jesus is using this here very clearly as this this body eat my body they move from grumbling about his deity to disputing, here's the next heading, disputing the hard truth about genuine belief. Listen to 52 to 59. Then it says, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How did they take it? I mean, I, I they, they took it literally. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Can you believe this, Jesus, like when Jesus knows they're taking it literally, but he doesn't stop and say, hold on a minute, look, this is a spiritual truth. You need to take, he doesn't, does he? He just stays there. Drink my blood. (laughs) 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. at Capernaum, the, the religious, he's in the presence of religious leaders <laughs> even as he says this. Gross is really not a strong enough word for what they felt when Jesus said this. It's, it's beyond gross, it's appalling physically. It is anathema morally. I mean, they thought cannibalism, quite frankly, literally. You know, the law prohibits eating anything with blood in it. So you understand the Jews, they, they, when they ate beef, or you know, when 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 they ate meat, they had to get all the blood out of it. And here's this Jesus saying, "Drink my blood." There's a number of ways to resolve that. I think the the, the easiest, and, and I think, and it's a very appropriate way, is to let the, the the context speak for itself, and let us take. You know, when we say we take the Bible literally, we we, we also that that doesn't mean. You know, Jesus says, I'm a door. We don't take it literally, he's a door. We understand literature and that Jesus speaks in metaphors and analogies, right? Let's look at this in a chart. I'm going to throw this up here. When we look at the verses where he says these things, note the verse, the action and the result. <clears throat> verse 40, if you believe, you have eternal life. 47, he who believes has eternal life. Verse 50, if you eat, you will not die. That sounds like eternal life. If, uh, 51, if you eat, you will live forever, uh, eternal life. <laughs> 54, if you feed on me, uh, you have eternal life. 58, if you feed on me, you live forever. Now, now consider this, that John wrote his entire gospel. Okay, this is where you take context. He wrote his entire gospel with one purpose, John 20, verse 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name so we know what why John's writing so that we'll believe so when we look at these we look at this context and we see wait eternal life is is the same all the way across the board right so so the the the, the result is life forever the action he describes here as believes, believes. Then he goes into this metaphor of eat, eat. So it's appropriate to understand this that when he says, feed on, eat my flesh, drink my blood, those, those metaphorically he's saying, believe, right? Is everybody with me on this? So all of those things are equal to, commensurate with, believe. But listen, <clears throat> he's saying these things because biblical belief is no light belief, it's no light lunch. It is a wholehearted trust, rely upon, depend. You see what I'm saying, it's not just I believe. No, it's to, it's to, as Walt Kaiser, New Testament scholar says this, he says it's to be united to him by faith and to participate in his life. You see that? You see the, the weight and gravity of biblical belief? Even in these words that Jesus uses, again, it's a truth, right? That they could not swallow. Now, here's where I want—I want you to note: these are truths that those who have yet—they've not. These are people who have not put their trust in Christ, you know, and they're—they're going. I can't. We can't eat your flesh, you know. What's he talking about? I know your mom and dad. You didn't come from heaven. These are. Non Christians who can't swallow that truth. Now, with the benefit of the gospel that we're reading, the Holy Spirit, you know, who who has has been given, you know, post resurrection, (laughs) who lives in us. I, I think it's safe to say whether you're in the room or you're online, that I for us to read that that's not that hard to believe. You know what I'm saying? In a sense, we go, okay, he means, he means flesh is to believe. So I don't, I don't know that that's so difficult for us. <clears throat> but when we go back into this passage, and this is where Rob and I put the brakes on and said, we're gonna pause and hit a few of these in a little more depth. When we go back and spend a few moments diving deeper in some of Jesus's words, oh my, listen. Those of us who, who know Christ, we find some things that trouble us perhaps as deeply as his words troubled them. And you'll see this in a moment. (laughs) My hope is that by the spirit, we might avoid the grumbling about these things. (laughs) We might reject disputing about these things. And we might come to a place where I'm putting this third heading, a place of marveling. So here's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time marveling. (laughs) About what? The hard truth about God's sovereignty and salvation the hard truth about God's sovereignty and salvation. So a few preliminary comments. One, y'all, we're not gonna settle an issue that's been debated for hundreds of years in these next 15 minutes. Uh, So this is not about definitively settling a theological debate because that debate will continue far beyond us. But a lot, so, so I'm saying that to say, a lot of what I'm getting ready to do will be left unsaid. And so it's gonna be, um, you're gonna struggle, okay? And that's okay. Secondly, there's room for different theological understanding of these things. Please hear me. I would not die for what I'm about to teach you. I wouldn't. Uh, this is not the deity of Jesus. This is not the resurrection. This is not the need for trust in Christ, okay? So I would not die for these things. I would not break fellowship with anyone who saw it differently. I'm probably gonna say this more than I need to, but trust me, I will take a position that say is here. I know plenty of people far smarter than me who love Jesus and know Jesus who would stand here in a different place and it's okay. Okay? And yet, I believe what I believe because I believe it makes a huge difference in terms of our understanding of of the gospel. And I I will say along with Rob, and Rob and I are aligned in this and what I'm talking about today, it puts the glory of the grace of salvation where I believe it belongs on God alone. And again, I don't say that to discount another position, (laughs) but this is what we believe the Bible teaches. You know, Y'all got, you're going to have questions firing off in your head. I'm not going to answer them. Uh, um, I'd love to sit, I mean this, I'd love to sit with you, interact with you when you want to discuss things. You're going to drive home today going, I don't know if I've got that. You. There can be some chatter going on. Okay. I did this a few weeks ago. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to put my email up. So just email me um, if you want to, and it'll be all, <laughs> everything will be fine. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Put my email up there. There you go. You can you not take a picture of that. And uh, I mean it, you know, go, hey, <laughs> help me understand this better and we can struggle with it together. Let's start here. I think we've established that to come to Jesus is to believe in Jesus. So to come to Jesus is to believe. It's to eat his flesh and drink his blood. With that, with, our start, with that as our starting point, let's begin and look at a couple of passages. And there's so many places we could go. I'm gonna move rather quickly. Most of these will be on the screen. Um, but you can look in your Bible. Go back to verse 37. Rob touched on this last week. Verse 37, note what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Out. Question, according to this verse, <clears throat> who comes to Jesus? According to this verse, all that the Father gives. That's who comes. Look at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. So there's those who, who God the Father gives to the sons. There's these, he gives them to the son. <clears throat> How many of those does he lose? These are not trick questions. None, he, he doesn't lose any. <clears throat> Look at verse 44. <clears throat> no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I, he repeats himself, and I will raise him up on the last day. What's the condition that must be met in order for someone to come to Jesus? What's the condition? There's some. The father has to draw them. So if the father doesn't draw them, again, I'm, I'm, this is how I understand it. And I know I'm in these very specific verses, but they can't come unless the father draws them. That's what it says. Look at verse 65. Rob will get here next week. And he said, This is why I told you. I mean, he repeats himself: no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Of all the people in the world, according to Jesus, who, who can come to who, who can come to him, according to this verse? We're repeating ourselves, but what? Only those who, it's been granted by the Father. Verse 37 is the positive side, let's note that. All that that the Father gives, come. Verse 44, he's saying the same thing, only he's coming from the negative side, he's going no one can come unless the Father draws. Verse 65, he comes to the negative again, he says, look, no one can come unless it's been granted by the Father. Boy, these, so now you know, now you know I put Rob's email up there, right? These verses, I mean, it makes it sound like, okay, wait, wait, wait. He's making it sound like salvation is for just a select group of people. And if you're not on the list, if you're not one of those, then you can't come. It's impossible to get in then. Sounds like the whole thing is rigged. And God's just rigged it all. And the implications of that are, uh, But what about? You're right, your mind. What about? Now, let me offer an alternative thought on this, and I'm going to unpack this. What if the verses are saying and this is what I believe they are saying "Our salvation is of God." From beginning? to the end. Those who have come to put their trust in Christ have done so because God willed it, initiated it, orchestrated it, applied it, and will consummate it. That phrase Jesus says, I'll raise them up on the last day. Said another way, our salvation is ultimate. See, I'm speaking the ultimates. It's ultimately not about us, It's about God the Father giving God the Son a people purchased by the blood of the Son. This is salvation. Our salvation is about God's mercy and grace and goodness and kindness and steadfast love. See, so now we're in this, aren't we? These verses, oh my gosh, we gotta wrestle with this. Speak of the sovereignty of God in salvation. And the issue is not that we, here's, here's what I wanna say to you. It's not that we fully understand it. We won't. The issue is, does the Bible teach it? If the Bible teaches it, then we must believe it. And when we do, I believe we're changed by it. Now, I have stepped into the doctrines. You You all know this. I've stepped into the doctrine of election and predestination. Why have I stepped into this? Because Jesus says it. Because Jesus speaks of this. We've got to wrestle with this. I'll say it again. I will take this position. Rob and I will take this position. Others will take another position, okay? And that's okay. They'll look at it. They'll, they'll look at things differently. <clears throat> we would expect, if Jesus speaks this way, for the apostles to pick up on it so that when they're teaching about the gospel, they would, kind of, they would speak of these things. There's a lot in there, but We can't can't cover it all, but just consider these. Look on the screen. This is Acts 13, 48. This is the New Living Translation. When the Gentiles heard this, speaking of the gospel coming to them, they were very glad and they thanked the Lord for his message and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians because I want you to read this With me, we're not gonna be able to dive into it. We've actually taught Ephesians at this church twice. You can go back and listen to those messages, but look at Ephesians chapter one, verses four to six. Start at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Mm. Even as he chose us in him, speaking to Christians, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why did he do this? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved wait. he chose us before, why? To the praise of his glorious grace. He predestined us for adoption for his own glory. If you know Jesus, and I I know most in the room do, if you're in the room and you haven't put your trust in Christ, I'm gonna talk about that in a moment. But if you know Christ, I believe according to Ephesians, You know him because God chose you before he ever made the world. Your salvation was secure before Genesis 1-1. And I know, man, your, your brain's going, you're going, yeah, but I can't, and I get it. I totally get it, right? Do you feel the tension in the room? I can hear a pin drop right now. Let's talk about, I can't address all the questions. I can't, you know, there's so much to, that you could discuss here. So I'm just going to, this is truly uh, just a skim, but it's enough to, to point us in, I think, some ways to think and, and, and hopefully land us where, where, I, where we are as a church. You know, what we, Rob and I will teach because we believe the Bible teaches it. <clears throat> you know, first thing that can come up <clears throat> is, is oftentimes, is, but what about a free will? Wait, wait a minute, that, that, what, that violates my will. Is, is it? It's my choice whether I want to be saved or not. You know, we we can, and that's so legitimate. You know, that violates a person's free will. Consider this: when we say free will, we gotta, we must understand what 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 many people think there's, what many people are saying when they say it free will. It cannot mean free to do anything without. Coercion. What, is, what does that mean? Only God is truly free. God alone acts. Nothing has to prompt him. He doesn't need another piece of information. He doesn't need to be hurt to respond this way. You know what I'm saying? God, there's no coercion required. God is the only true, truly free being in the universe. He freely chooses at the pleasure of his own goodwill. Humans, by the way, in in, in a fallen nature, right? we're, We're free to act in accordance with our nature. Said another way, we do what we want, but our wants are preconditioned in a sense or they're prompted. There's a compulsion when Paul says in Romans 3, no one understands, no one seeks God, for all have turned aside together. together, together, They, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. He's describing a fallen humanity. No one, no one wants God. Okay? No one wants God from the womb, from from birth. In our fallen nature, we're fallen. Thus, our will is far from free. It's actually bound. What what we actually need is someone outside of ourselves to unbind our will, because if we remain bound in our will, we only want what we want, and we only want ourselves, because Paul says you will not want God. Jesus says the one who sins is a slave to sin. So for us to come to Jesus, God has to take the initiative to unbound us. Otherwise we would never come to believe we're incapable of choosing Christ on our own. Now you see, I'm taking a very, I'll just use these terms because some of you are going, oh, okay, it's a very reformed position and I am. As as I hate even to use the word as opposed to, as it's more like, and there are those who take a more of a, an Arminian position, okay? Some of you get that. It's where those two camps can be. Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this, not of your own doing, is a gift of God. understand that the, the, this is of the faith, that, that God, must, God must actually give you the faith to believe. Now, for some of you, I know you're going, this is not, I don't, this is not what I was taught and I, I, that's okay. You can think about it this way, and this is where I tend to go um, when I'm wrestling with these things. You know, one of the places we can go, I think that we we can gain some measure of clarity, a little bit maybe, is to ask yourself the question, how bad is my problem? Let's start there, because then that's gonna determine the solution, right? How bad off is a human being in terms of ability, capacity, to trust God, to put their faith in Jesus. This is some 30, 40 years ago when you know, I was at seminary and Dr. Hannah, one of our favorite professor down there, but quite reformed in his views of salvation. But he described, he described this way, and it's, I was talking to a friend last week and he described this illustration. I'm used he, to, hey, did you talk about that? But he, it was a little different. So this, there's different takes on this. So here, here's just the one that I, I heard Dr. Hannah saying that stays with me. Because we're asking the question, how bad's our problem? How sick are we? Some, some could take, take the position that we're messed up bad, okay? But because we're made in the image of God, there's, the, there's an ember within us that's capable of choosing God. And so you could, here's the metaphor. You're, you're, you're treading water. You're just treading water in the ocean. And if you tread long enough, God works out circumstances in such a way that you... You know, you hear the gospel. Someone explains it to you, and you're treading water. You're trying to keep yourself, in, but you're getting it. Okay, okay, okay. And then you see, oh my gosh, there's a life preserver, and you grab it. See, so you you know, it, God makes sure that that life preserver floats in front of you, and you grab it. Just treading water long enough, because there is within you the capacity to choose the truth if under the right circumstances. There's another view, and this is the view that I would hold is that that we are born and live life not treading water. One day I'm going to hear, you know, I don't know, and then it comes along. No, no, no. But that in our fallenness, we are lying on the bottom of the ocean, dead, incapable of grabbing a life preserver. And if this is true, then God must do something for me to trust him. And if that's true, then God takes the initiative. I don't because I can't. And so in salvation, God births faith in the dead. (laughs) Now, in terms of timing and all this, you know, you can argue all this, but God acts first because I'm incapable. And he births life in me. There's a sense of regeneration in me that, that opens my eyes and I go, I believe. But I was totally incapable of believing until God acted upon me. And I know these questions come, well, wait, why do you act on you and not someone else? I don't know. I don't for the pleasure of his glory. Why me, God? We should all ask that question and we should all answer it for your glory. Thank you, God. You know, one of the problems raised here and challenges is, and I know you're kind of, and you'd be asked, I'd be asked the same question. Well, why you and why not the other dead people around you? You know, it, it, it's a second point around this. Does that mean God predestines some to heaven and some to hell? Like from all eternity, it's all rigged. From all eternity, God predestines these for heaven and he predestined those for hell. That's called double predestination. Well, that's a huge can of worms. There's so much in that. Let me just address it briefly in this way. That's not what the Bible, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. It's not what I'm teaching here. In summary on this point, by our lineage from Adam and Eve, By that lineage, all people are destined for an eternity apart from God. We're all destined for hell. We're all destined for eternity apart from God. And what election says is before the foundation of the world, yes, God did elect. All are are destined. God elected some. He passes over others and you go, oh my gosh, how can he do that? I don't know. This is what the Bible teaches. All who end up eternally apart from God are there by their choice. And would you go, wait, wait, no, Lord, that's not what you just said. Well, I'm saying that his teaches both, that, that we're accountable for our choices. I'll talk about that in a moment. People choose an eternity apart from him. And to question why do you choose some watch these others, there's a wrestle here that says, well, you know, this is, this is definitely the clay calling the potter to task. There's another question around this that says this, if this is true, the offer of salvation, is it real? Is it real? If it's, is it a real offer? Well, this is the only thing I can say. I, can, I just say, well, we gotta listen to Jesus and we gotta look at the apostles. And the offer they made for salvation was never Hey, you're elect, so let me tell you something. It was never that, was it? What was the offer of salvation from Jesus's lips and the apostles? Read Jesus's words here. Whoever believes, everyone who feeds on me, you see, it was a, it was a universal offer. It's to any and all without qualification. And that's our, this is our responsibility to proclaim the gospel such. You'll find no circumstance in the New Testament where Christians withheld the proclamation of the gospel under the thought of, well, it's rigged, God's gonna save whoever he saves. You'll never see that. Paul worked himself to exhaustion to reach the elect, he says, <laughs> to, to proclaim it fully and widely. No one can stand before God. This is just, I know these tensions are like, e. But no one will stand before God and, and God and say to God, I didn't trust, I didn't put my faith in your son Jesus because you didn't elect me. That's not gonna happen according to the Bible. We're responsible for our choices. And you're watching, you're listening to me, you're online, you hear this week after week, we say, put your trust in Christ, why won't you put your trust in Christ? You can't, you can't say, because I'm not elect. No, it's your choice. Jesus in chapter 5, verse 40 says, You you he said to them, You refuse to come to me. So it's like, wait, which is it? Hmm, is it both? I know you've been wondering about this swing. You know, this is 2004, I talked about this and I did this way back, you know, and I I haven't changed my mind since then. I mean, I'm just more, I'll tell you, since teaching this back then, I would just say to you, I'm just more, I'm not even gonna use the word confused because I don't wanna say confused. I'm more convinced, but I'm also humbly convinced. This is what I believe the Bible teaches. It's okay if we disagree old illustration before you, if this, if these, if this is the, if this is the gate to heaven, if this is the gate to heaven, you've heard this before that on this side of heaven, you read the sign above it and it says, whosoever believes will have eternal life. So we stand here. We can't say I'm not, this is, that's off the table. This is like big boy, big girl theology we're talking about here for those who know christ but the offer is always who else whosoever believes come and it's our responsibility it's a real choice it's a real choice i want to put my trust in jesus and if you put your trust in jesus you step into right An eternity with god it's not just stepping into heaven it's stepping into a relationship that begins now and lasts forever but on this side i know it's kind of cheesy but on this side of the door what does it say Chosen from before the foundation of the world. You go, which is it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and I want us to think about these things in this way, perhaps. There is a tension in going, wait, is God in control or do I get to choose? Um, wait, am I morally responsible for my choices and it's real? Or does God have it all rigged and it's going to be how he wants it? Right, I mean, like, I can't make these two things go together in a way that we go, oh, I get it. God can, and we must live with this tension. And this is why I use the swing in this way. You know, that you, can, you can live, you can go to the hyper, you can go to a hyperposition of God's sovereignty and it's fatalistic. Doesn't matter, it's rigged. He's gonna do what he wants. God causes all things to work together for good. Whatever it is, and you can, and you'll spend all your energy holding this position because you're afraid. If I give in a little, you know, it'll swing too far. So you just you're living way out in the in hyper Calvinism. May I say that hyper Reformed theology? I'm very reformed in what I believe about this, but I pray it's not hyper. Or right, you can go to the other direction and live at the extreme, and it's so important to you. And I get this to preserve a person's will that you're just not gonna give up on this. My will is my will. It's free. I choose, you spend all your energy keeping this position. You don't wanna give any of this position away because it would be, oh my gosh, and it goes over into this Calvinist, you know? I'm Arminian, whatever it may be. But but I wanna suggest that life, and this really matters about the Christian faith. Sound not at either extreme, I mean this. But in all seriousness, it's found staying in, in this middle, what? In the middle tension. Now, in a silly way, you know, swinging is actually fun. <laughs> and may I say that, you know, when you're swinging, there's a sense of rest. You don't rest when you're at either extreme. But I'm resting here. I'm resting that my choices matter and that God is sovereign and that I wouldn't know God, but that he chose me. And and yet I do choose him and salvation from beginning to end is of God. Now here's where it gets, I'm gonna give you two practical ways to think of this and two ways I think it really does. And I'm going over on time on this, but that, that we say that, that this matters. Can I say it this way? It matters in terms of eternal security. I'm not the only one, because I wanna tell you this, sometimes I wonder if I'm saved, and you go, oh my gosh, if he does, then I, we're all dead. You know, I, No, you're not. <laughs> but sometimes, don't you sometimes go, is it true? Oh my gosh, this stuff is great. Some of this stuff is, is it? And you go, Lord, see, so so you can wrestle with your eternal security. Now, our eternal security can, can at some level be verified by our life. I get that. But sometimes my life doesn't look like a Christian. Can I tell you where my eternal security ultimately rests? In what Jesus said. And that, yes, I did believe. I believed when I was 18. And Jesus says, I'll lose not one. How secure am I? I'm as secure as Jesus's word. That's the ultimate rest. I, I, I have these struggles. I go through these doubts, but no, Jesus, you keep your word and you will raise me on the last day. That's security. I know my life doesn't look really good right now, or I've de- but Jesus, made, Jesus has promised me. Do you see that? That's eternal security. I was chosen before the foundation of the world. That's security. Let me tell you the other place this makes a huge difference, I believe. Evangelism. I had a lady, a friend call me a couple weeks ago and she said, oh, Lloyd, there's a guy that I know. And he's, I keep talking about Jesus and he's not trusting, I don't know what to do. He, he's got to believe and he won't believe. And, and I talked to her about this and I said, you understand, no one believes unless God opens their eyes. But our responsibility is to give the message, isn't it? So we give the message to all. And here's our confidence God is still opening people's eyes to the gospel. It's not, it, you know what I'm saying? It takes, the, it takes the weight off of, but what if I say it wrong? What if I don't get the right words? What? God births new life. We get the privilege of sharing that message and it gives tremendous confidence, right? That God will bring his own to himself. Man, that's That's rest. That's rest. takes us to the table take your communion elements it's ten thirteen, so i've i've really i've really blown our time this morning um but we are going to finish if someone would let the learning center know we're running late that's my fault i'll fix it next service but we come to this table, and, and why do we come to this table? Well, because we do week by week, because in this table, go ahead and take the elements, get the bread off and the cup, get the bread in your, in your hand and the cup in your hand. We come to the table because Jesus invites us to his table to remind us week by week that he gave his body and his blood. Let me say this. This is this is such a shocker, but can you believe that some people believe Jesus in this passage is talking about the Lord's table, and some people don't? Oh, <laughs> um, I don't believe Jesus is talking about the Lord's table in this passage. Um, when when the when we read it when we read it today, we sure see it, don't we? Wait, wait, he's talking about. It's okay to see the hints of it, but I don't think that's what he was talking about in this text. Perhaps maybe the biggest reason would simply be it's not because taking communion doesn't save you. So remember, you know, this is this is not about take, being saved. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. No, no, no. This is symbolic of His body and His blood. It's a reminder of the great cost and the certainty that He did what He did, and He's coming again to set all things right. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, for your body broken, we say thanks, and this is an indication for us of our belief. We trust you. We thank you for this remembrance of your sacrifice on our behalf. Receive the bread. And for your blood poured out, which was your life, your life was poured out, so ours would never be poured out, i.e. never separated from the Father. Lord, in in taking this table, we're proclaiming, too, that you're coming again one day to set all things right. We'll never understand the mystery of your sovereignty and salvation. But, oh, in this life, we can glory in it and put the glory where it fully belongs, and that is upon your grace and mercy toward us. Thank you, Jesus. Receive the cup. and hear our song, hear our prayer in it.